gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine and, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, the review segment for Friday, May 30th, 2014. This is episode 24, by the way. Today we're reviewing Maleficent, which I think you have to say in an overly enunciated voice if you're going to say it at all. And uh, joining us, we have the person who we wrangled outside the screening and who graciously agreed to join us, even though we were kind of crazy about it. Nathaniel Rogers. Hello, hello. Thank you for joining us. I I'm asked, always ready to talk Maleficent. Well, I asked you before remembering that Sleeping Beauty is your favorite Disney movie. Yep. Your favorite Disney movie or just favorite princess movie? or Favorite general? Disney movie. Okay. So did you come into this being like, are they going to be true to Maleficent? Like, did you, were you kind of sitting there with your arms folded before you went to see what Angelina No, I was actually like? really, I was actually really looking forward to it. Like, <laughs> I, I, for some reason, the trailers look really good to me. Even though you, like most right-thinking people, think Alice in Wonderland is a nightmare. You love Lana Del Rey. Is that, <laughs> is that the reason you love her covers, her smoky jazz voice? I do not acknowledge the existence of Alice in Wonderland. My preferred name for it is Eyesore in Wonderland, <laughs> which I have only ever referred to it as since it came out on my blog. On the Film Experience, which is the site that we failed to mention that you, yes. that you own and work on. And <laughs> where and there, where there and if you other- tried to search for Alice in Wonderland, you would not see it on there. You have to call it Eyesore in Wonderland. <laughs> wow. I, I'm going to Google Eyesore in Wonderland right now. You own that You own that Google search term. <laughs> yep, that's you. Eyesore in Wonderland right up top. <laughs> um, so Maleficent is a spin on Sleeping Beauty kind of in a similar way that Snow White and the Huntsman was a spin on Snow White. This is kind of all the rage these days. It's about Maleficent, the villainess, who's played by Angelina Jolie, and kind of the real story about how she came to be wicked and kind of takes a spin on the story of Sleeping Beauty, which is, I mean, from what I remember, the basics is, you know, beautiful princess, curse, pricks her finger on a spinning wheel, falls asleep, is woken by true love's kiss. Like, that's, there's not, there's not a lot more complication to the original story, right? No, it's pretty, yeah, it's pretty slim. Yeah. Like, a lot Um, of those movies are very spare, those early ones. Yeah, which is, uh, I mean, kind of gives you more room for Crazy Dragon and all sorts of interesting visual stuff, which is what makes Sleeping Beauty, the Disney movie, so interesting. Um, and to accomplish this backstory, they bring in Shalto Copley to play this guy, King Stefan, who Maleficent loved as a young girl and was, you know, betrayed by him, basically. And they have the fairies who are familiar from the movie, who are played by three great British actresses who don't deserve to be thrown in the uncanny valley this way. And uh, I think calling the story messy is a generous statement. There's a lot going on in it. But Nathaniel, I think... There's a lot going on in it? There's nothing going on in it. (laughs) There's nothing going on, but there's a lot of voiceover trying to tell you there's something going on. It depends on your knowledge of the 1959 animated film, Sleeping Beauty. I mean, you kind of have to know what's going on in that film. And I think we all... I mean, if you've been raised as a child in America, you've probably seen Sleeping Beauty. So you know everything that's going to happen in this movie, beat for beat... Plus some fluff garbage exposition, <laughs> like retroactively, <laughs> oh, uh, Maleficent has a, a, a kiss, you know, a, what is it, the pure love kiss? or True love's kiss. True love's kiss. She had one of those too, but it didn't work out. So true love's kiss <laughs> is a phrase you hear 18,000 times in this movie. Um, but it's that's all fluff. There's, a, there's nothing going on in this movie. Yeah. There's a, I mean, 
There's a lot of voiceover from what I thought was Angelina Jolie. Turns out not to be. That seems to be kind of stitching together scenes that don't belong together. There's a lot of CGI. There's a lot of moments of just like pure, like someone flying through the air. There's nothing happening here except we're going to make up some CGI creatures. And then Angelina Jolie stands, uh, shows up to like stand behind some trees and or in a shadow and glare. And she looks, I think, spectacular. Like her makeup and her general appearance combined are pretty amazing. But that does not really a movie make. And Nathaniel, I think you said that you wish your expectations had been a little bit lower going into this, whereas mine were rock bottom. So it sounds like you were pretty unthrilled with what you saw. Yeah, it was just really dull. It was one of those movies where if you've seen the trailer, you've basically... Yeah. (laughs) You know, if you like what you saw in the trailer, you will see that. It's not (laughs) false advertising, but you will see it over and over and over again. Yeah. Another... Another shot of her, you know, glaring or walking through like- the fogginess yeah. from from silhouette to beauty. There's so yes. many shots like that. That's that's the whole movie in a nutshell. Yeah. Not a lot happens. It's very so, which makes me wonder, like, what is the point of this movie? What's this movie chasing, and does it actually achieve that? Is it really just? Is it an Angelina Jolie vehicle to show how beautiful and how charming and how wicked she can be? Uh, is this displaying her skills, or is it supposed to be a spectacle? And does it achieve that? What is this movie chasing? I have, well, a, I, I'm, I'm at I, a loss almost. I think it's like the whole thing about like that fan fiction culture has become culture. <laughs> so, and I sort of blame Gregory Maguire, who who wrote Wicked: The Life and Times of the Wicked Witch it, of the it, West. It, it's all on Gregory Maguire. I think it is. I, I think say fan fiction at least is some part of this, but. Yeah, because it just seems like we always have to, if there's a character that everyone recognizes, we have to, like, go to their backstory. Like, why did they do this? Yeah. it's a, And it's all this retcon business. Like, let no, let's change the story since you already know it. Yeah. I thought about Wicked during this because, you know, it obviously a similar way of looking at a villainous, but Wicked kind of assigns these really complicated mechanics to how this world works and has these schools and all these laws and, you know, various leaders. And Maleficent is so dead simple where it's just she loved a boy he didn't love her back I mean it's PG it's made for children basically but that like you were saying Nathaniel it makes it really dull where you just kind of feel like you're going through your paces and then you know trotting along to the next scene in which basically the same thing's going to happen over and over again well so Katie I have to ask you this because uh, there's been a lot of talk about gender politics in in big spectacle movies lately because of X-Men um and how they totally changed that story to remove the women <laughs> from the story, basically. So did you did you object to Maleficent's story becoming, who is this, like, diva villain becoming, like, a boy hurt her feelings? Yeah, I kind of, I, at the very beginning, I was definitely really annoyed by that. Especially because whoever plays the young Stefan and then Chateau Copley are both just so irrelevant and uninteresting. But I kind of feel like they recognized that and moved away for, from it at a certain point. And the story becomes less about that and more about... Her learn her developing this relationship with Aurora, which I thought was the most interesting part of the movie by far, is like the time they, except for when she's really villainousing out and kind of making black green smoke fly everywhere, which is awesome. Um, hmm. I do I think that's a big fundamental mistake and kind of indicates how little they've got going on here. That all they could think of that made her go really evil was that a boy hurt her feelings and like, I mean, he does something kind of awful to her, but the extent of their relationship. Doesn't make any sense. Like, there's no. I think everything's on the table here. You can say what happens here. This is essential, and there are no. Spo- Let's go full spoiler into this because there are <laughs> yeah. zero spoilers in this movie. He date rapes. I mean, he date rapes her. That's yeah, basically I mean, what happens. He drugs her with a roofie and steals what's essential to her. 
Steel, which is her wings. Her wings. Yeah. Which is, yeah, it's a really interesting and kind of dark metaphor and one that the movie doesn't even seem to necessarily recognize is there. Um, but you don't care about him and you really only care about her. And when she kind of develops from being wounded into like straight up cackling villainess, it doesn't make any sense for the character, but it's fun. And then but, she kind of immediately goes back and becomes softer again. And it's it's incoherent. Basically. It can't be one way or the other. I think that's my biggest problem with Maleficent, a movie I kind of enjoyed. And maybe we'll get to that at some point, because I feel like all summer I've been coming to the table with, I enjoyed this movie and yet I only have negative things to say. Um, so I want to <laughs> discover what I liked about Maleficent at some point in this review. But um, I, I, I do, I agree with you, Katie. I like when Angelina Jolie and Elle Fanning have these moments where they're like learning to have this mother daughter friendship that neither of them really understand because Elle Fanning's Aurora is being raised by these dim-witted, awful fairies, these three fairies who I think you're supposed to think their antics are funny, but they're the most horrible, misguided, like, caretakers of all time. They're basically they're trying to murder Aurora. In 16 years, they can't <laughs> bake a fucking cake. I'm sorry. <laughs> Learn to bake a cake if that's what you're there to do. Um, but I, I like those tender moments. It's surprising that amidst all this CG muck uh these two can find a human moment unfortunately what i really want and what is only teased and it's barely happens i want to see angelina jolie sink her teeth into this movie i think before the screening katie i told you that i wanted to get like totally wasted and see this movie because i wanted it to be mommy dearest i wanted it to be Mm -hmm. faye dunaway as joe crawford going absolutely nuts and being really wicked uh and there's none of that you don't get any I mean, there's a little snarling and there's some some devious moments, some evil uh, grinning on the part of Angelina Jolie. But I think she's capable of something better than what she pulls off here. So there's there's no scene chewing in this movie. And I'm surprised. Well, they seem yeah. to be afraid for you not to like her. They, you yes. know, they can't right. get away from her being really sympathetic all the time so that when she does get into the scene chewing, it doesn't make any sense because you haven't been led up to that moment at all. It just kind of has to be there and then they have to walk away from it. Right, yeah. So my favorite beats in the performance were all like the little subtle things that she managed in this sort of like very broad strokes movie, like her sort of hatred of children mixed with the not understanding that she actually has <laughs> maternal feelings for Aurora was actually really funny a couple of times. Seeing her play with this young Aurora baby is hysterical. Or or toddler Aurora <laughs> when toddler Aurora's like, I want to get picked up. And she's like, ugh. Which is yeah. Vivian Jolie Pitt. I wish there should have been more. She okay. should have been saddled with Aurora more and yeah. really be like, there's so many people. That's such a relatable character. People who don't want to have kids, even more today. Like, if you're going to speak to adults, I don't think this movie is for kids because it's not fun, it's not bright, and it's not wild and weird. It's actively dim. Please do not see it in 3D. Yeah. Oh, God. The 3D is pretty awful. But And it's pretty scary it gets intense with like sword fights and i mean the end battle is it's just an evil guy trying to rip this woman in two it's awful um this is not for kids uh which means it it should speak to adults on some level and i think that's what it should have really capitalized on this feeling that oh i don't want to have kids and there's there's it glimmers with that but it can't really again it can't find a footing because it has to go back to the spectacle which it could almost tip into it could be that movie too because i think the designs are actually pretty 
cool at some point if I could see see them. them. Yeah, if I could see them really clearly. Basically, this uh, the moors, which is the forest that Maleficent resides in, the fairy Maleficent uh, outside this castle, is basically like – um, Pandora meets uh, Lisa Frank posters meets uh, all the magic, the gathering cards that I have at my parents' house right now. Um, and and it's wild, it's weird. And I wish there was more of that. It's basically just for Elle Fanning to walk through and be like, "Oh, look at the look at the dragon bird, or look at the frog <laughs> elephants. Oh, pet them." <laughs> and they don't really interact with them at all. And it, so it can't become the spectacle it also wants to be. So it, it strays away from this kind of interesting character work that Angelina Jolie appears to want to do <laughs> on some level. So, Nathaniel, I, you you defend Elle Fanning as well, right? Like you kind of – you're a believer in her? Um, I'm more of a Dakota person. Myself. Okay, fair enough. We all have to pick a Fanning. Um, <laughs> do we? <laughs> no. I, I want yeah, both yeah, Fanning. Yes, I like the Fanning. Yeah, no. it's a thing. Yeah, pick your thing. side. You the, coming the Hemsworth school. choice is so much easier than the Fanning <laughs> choice. <laughs> um, did, you, did you feel like Elle Fanning did anything to benefit this movie? Uh, not really. I mean, she was there – to be pretty. Yeah. I mean, that is sort of one of the weaknesses of, you know, the older princess movies in general is that they, the princesses have very little in the way of personality other than that they're pretty. <laughs> so Elle was just kind of like, uh, I did find it amusing that one of the, um, one of the blessings she gets from the fairies is about smiling and being happy. <laughs> right. That sounds yeah. miserable to me. Like Which always is not being happy. in, Sleeping Beauty, but in Maleficent, like the, hmm. the the blessings they give her on her birthday are different in this movie. Interesting. So, and then she really was like grinning like a fool, like yeah. all the time. Well, I, yeah. before the podcast, I told you I thought she was like challenged in some way. She's like <laughs> seriously, she She's has some sort of mental problem. I mean, She's wandering around this forest, being like, "I want to live in the trees. I want to eat berries." And I'm like, "What is going? What's wrong with you?" Get this girl yeah. help. Someone help her. Um, the, weird thing, the weird thing is the only time she does react like that is when she meets Prince Philip. And then she seems nervous. Mm. Yeah. Which is He's a total, a like, that needed to be more elegant in this movie. Because we yeah, want to be faithful fine. to this. We want to be faithful to Sleeping Beauty 1959. But we live in a post-frozen world. Okay. So how do we, how do we reckon with that? Uh, because this is definitely a movie made in the shadow of Frozen. Well, it's hilarious that they knew exactly how Frozen ended. It's made by the same same studio, but they basically do the exact same ending, which is mm-hmm. bizarre. Like, I, I mean, I don't know which came first or what got in the way, or maybe they at some point just realized that Frozen was going to do it better no matter what. But it, I mean, it really does live in the shadow of Frozen, which makes it, again, like a really weird set of mistakes. I will say that uh, the one thing I was most worried about was the visuals because Robert Stromberg, who is the director, um, he was the production designer on Eyesore in Wonderland. Mm -hmm. So I thought for sure this was going to be completely like eye gouging until I saw the trailers. And I was like, okay, maybe. Yeah. Um, And it, it is really sedate comparatively. Yes. But it, but it is beautiful in many shots. But then there are also, I was telling Patches, that there are a lot of shots where it's just like really flat, bright sunlight lighting that doesn't even match the scene that they're in. Like they were kind of shooting outside and couldn't get around it. it was, it's very weird. Like there are some shots that are really gorgeously shadowed and then others that 
No one seemed to pay any attention. Yeah, there's like a weird digital photography problem in the beginning of this movie where it's all overblown. Like it's you can have bright shots, but this movie is not bright. It is not glistening. There is which is a weird thing to think about, but the way that you would shoot with your old video camera when it was too sunny outside, it's overblown. It's actually bleeding across the screen and like washing out the special effects. And that's probably intentional. <laughs> well, <laughs> it, it, the intent losing the effects to that and that brightness is uh, intentional, but I don't know if the overblown effect is. It's very strange. Well, but you're right. There are scenes where, like, oh, you get uh, the silhouette of Maleficent riding her horse into the sun sunset. I can't wait for that to be on perfect shots, Twitter. I mean, it's basically <laughs> begging to be on Tumblr already. Or like uh, a fan poster. Yeah, it has it has those moments that feel overly calculated. There's no natural beauty in this movie, which you wish – a fantasy film could do. It seems possible. I mean, why do I love the Jim Henson fantasy movies so much? Or why do I love Lord of the Rings? There seems to be natural beauty in these things that the Disney fantasy films that are all CG just simply cannot do. And I don't want to bash CG because that seems like a tired point. But what what think- is this missing? There's a, there's a moment where uh, Elle Fanning as Aurora is like watching these little – fish creatures which actually look like the sea man character from the sega games which probably neither of you get that reference but (laughs) someone out there will (laughs) and they'll be disturbed but these creatures are dancing around a pond and like making a light trail around the beautiful blue water and uh aurora goes i've never seen anything more beautiful in my life and um (laughs) i was like bullshit everything is more beautiful than this this is not beautiful and that's my biggest pet peeve this is just not beautiful well, since we're doing, like, since we're talking fan fiction, I want to redub the movie with Patches doing all of Aurora's dialogue. Oh, thank you. I want to experiment with a version of this movie that cuts out literally every male character except for Sam Riley and to see if anybody notices. No, wait, let's let's talk about <laughs> Sam Riley. Let's talk because right. he's like a decent character in this for having absolutely nothing to do. No point whatsoever. I could never figure out what his name was in this movie. Does- he's Diaval. Dioval. Dioval. And I'm pretty sure he was a bird and just can become a man. And also a horse sometimes. What are her powers? What are Maleficent's yeah. powers? I have no idea. She gets burnt by steel, uh, which prevents her from fighting back iron. in very – Iron. Oh, iron. Sorry. My bad. But yet she she can't fight back with her powers in these pivotal moments of action. But she can turn a bird into a man. That seems pretty extreme. <laughs> but Sam Riley, kind of good in the movie. Surprisingly so. Yeah. I think I think she was he was there to sort of cut down on the sort of possible lesbianic <laughs> situation <laughs> with Ma- Maleficent sort of stalking. Yeah, Aurora this gets downright nymphomaniac. Uh, <laughs> oh my god. Part two. Uh, I mean there are times she's always watching her sleep or outside her window. It's like That's I think what it's mothers very- do. But he's also he's not Don't a romantic interest either. He's just like the the bird sidekick. But I, I see what you mean. I, I think it's weird that this is what Sam Riley's career. Like I don't understand his career at all. Like he was in the On the Road movie and was kind of weirdly miscast, and he has all this potential. But like, good on him for being entertaining in this. I guess like being the. I mean, think of Zach Braff in a fucking uh, Oz the Great and Powerful being like the jokey sidekick and. Sam Riley is so far ahead of Zach Oh, yeah, Zach he's Braff. way better. But it's the same part, basically. I was trying to describe Sam Riley to someone after the movie as, like, he's cooking brisket right now. And it's a very slow cook. So just because he did what he, his 
uh, debut, his big debut was Control, right? Or yeah. that's why we know him. Yeah. Um, and that was years ago now. But let's let's take our time with Sam Riley. He'll eventually be a leading man. Like I saw him in this movie. I'm like, he is so charming. He can enliven any scene. He has a great dynamic with Angelina Jolie, the most stunning woman on earth, uh, especially this movie where they like they basically Photoshop her. In every scene, I think she's always <laughs> glowing. She's just too perfect. It's very strange. Uh, and yet he can stand side by side and kind of hold his own. And I think it's impressive. Yeah. Do you um, think? Oh, go ahead, Nathaniel. No, I was just going to say my um, what did I, I'm curious what you guys think of her makeup, because my most popular tweet this year, the entire year was <laughs> me complaining about her prosthetic cheeks, because I said it's like putting giving Dolly Parton a boob job. Mm-hmm. You, you don't need to change Angelina Jolie's I thought it was bone. a little distracting. Her cheekbones are square. I mean, does that make her look more like the 59 Maleficent? Uh, you it would be the expert look there. It like, more like a different kind of creature, I think. I think that's what's interesting. It, like, takes those a things bony fairy. Angelina Jolie and makes, makes them kind of scary. That's interesting. I I liked the makeup a lot, especially because I thought she did still look stunning in a lot of the shots. Like when when the shots are done well and she's kind of standing there in shadow or she's like behind a screen or something and she's got those contacts in, which, you know, light up with CGI whenever they feel like it. But (laughs) I feel like there's there's a really interesting power to her presence that, well, I agree that you don't need to do much to Angelina Jolie to make her striking, that there's it adds something to it that makes her otherworldly. She's pretty fierce. Yeah. In this movie. And, uh, and yeah. at, the, at the end, she's wearing like this Catwoman-like outfit from Batman Returns that's all leather and I don't know. She she is commanding. I don't know if she'll ever act again. I swear. I think she's done. I think she's really not going to act again and only direct. And like this was her send-off, which is kind of strange. But she seems too radiant to be in movies. Like she's too, too much for the screen. <laughs> I can't explain it. <laughs> but I think it's over. But she looked amazing. Then what, what were you going to say about Angelina? Oh, I'm just going to cry thinking it's over. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Patches. I, I mean, it, I do wonder because Unbroken looks, you know, basically based on nothing. But looks no, like I do think really she's going to retire. Yeah. It, but don't you think she'll come back like in her 60s and like give some kind of like Julie know, Christie type of that's, thing? That's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. When like she doesn't have to be stunning and beautiful anymore. I mean, she still will be, but it's not going to be like. You know, people freaking out about her as a sex symbol. Mm-hmm. It could be really interesting. I think this is a really interesting use of her star power. Like, I, I mean, Robert Stromberg, for all whatever work he put into designing the creatures, like, I think he's not the authorial voice on this. I think it's, you know, mostly Disney wanting a franchise and then Angelina Jolie, like, wanting to play this villainous, wanting to put this role model out there for women and for, like, women who have weird horns or who are dark or who, you know, wore vials of blood around their necks. Like, there's a interesting part of her story in this that I admire, even though the movie around her is a mess. Like her presence in it is basically the only thing we're seeing, which is weird for this kind of movie. And also weird for Angelina Jolie, who's like such a big star who just can't get a movie that can stand up around her. I, uh, you did not believe me when I said this, but I mean, don't you think that this is, this seems like a farewell because it seems like it's just a movie about Angelina Jolie. And there was well, one. Well, you said scene- it was about her mastectomy, which okay. I don't think. <laughs> no, hold 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 on, hold on. Um, the timeline doesn't work out. So <laughs> they started shooting this movie, I believe, in 2012, and she actually had her mastectomy in 2013. But I think she may have announced it before then, so it's very possible 
that this this did coincide in some. No, she definitely only announced it after it happened. In some way. Oh, okay, fair enough. But she gives this monologue in the movie about losing her wings and how they were beautiful and they were big and they were just hanging out there and she loved them and they were beautiful. And I'm like, she's talking about her boobs. And so it's like I'm shedding tears here a little bit hearing her profess and like feel okay about losing them. Like, oh, I don't need them. Um, But then, of course, yeah. So I I just thought that was kind of moving, a little moving. But I'm bringing a lot to the table in terms of who is performing this role. But that might be the whole point. And And so maybe it does work in the end as an Angelina Jolie star vehicle. And maybe that's why I like this movie a little bit because it's not the action. I don't think I'm coming to Maleficent for the action. Yeah, that that would be a mistake. Um, <laughs> Did you enjoy any of the action scenes, either of you? Oh no, no. Um, but we we should be careful not to mix so many metaphors, though. Like because you know you you start with the date rape, <laughs> and now it's never the careful with these me, things. and you can't. <laughs> you don't want to have both of those things meaning the same thing. I see what you're saying, though. But I and I do agree. It's the she's the entire reason to see it but um i i do and and the action is super boring but i i kind of love the sort of dreamy nightmare quality of the calm scenes that's my favorite part of the movie probably like Like, i love when when aurora is just like floating behind her yeah or and in one part you know she enchants uh prince philip and it also sort of has this floating dreamlike feel to it i was waiting yeah. for him to bump into things for it to get a little more <laughs> comical um there actually there is some legit comedy like things that are supposed to be funny that i was laughing at there's a gag where i guess maleficent can put people to sleep as you were saying like at one point she blows her gold dust into prince philip's face and he just flops over on his horse which i thought was hysterical and there's another <laughs> instance where she does it to aurora because aurora's just yammering oh talking forever and she's just like shut up blows the <laughs> dust in Wait, her face and was the dust color-coded for the different powers or did i miss that oh i don't gold, know gold always- for making people sleepy at least but she also i think gold manifests her staff her powers are very undefined yeah they're yeah. pretty unclear it seems like something kind of they like a- decided on as they felt like it Kind of like Kitty Pride in the new X-Men movie. Yeah. Oh, man. You took that X-Men movie hard. <laughs> yeah, this is really tied to Maleficent for you. Sorry. The gender politics here. <laughs> I wish we had you on for the review for that. I just couldn't. Yeah, I just grew up, like, obsessing over that. That's why it's still in my head so much. Over Kitty Pride. Over, yeah, Kitty Pride and, and that whole storyline, you know. Oh. It was, like, an important part of my childhood. So they ruined your childhood is what you're saying. No, the movie was really fun. <laughs> it just was not. Not what you wanted. Yeah. Well, that's I, well as the world's I keep saying world's biggest, which is an exaggeration. As a large Sleeping Beauty fan, do you feel like this ruined your childhood? No. Do you feel like it added anything to your childhood? <laughs> no. Although I will say that I I love Angelina Jolie. I agree that she has trouble finding movie roles that can support her sort of size on the screen. Um, so this and this part was definitely like a good choice. Yeah, even though, like, I mean, I guess it's just one person or one script that anyone would stick with. Like, that really does seem like they went into this not really knowing what their story was and, like, having, like, two minutes Well, they worth notoriously of reshot portions of it, and I think you can tell. I mean, the beginning 
of this film. Like the first 30 minutes of this movie are chopped to bits and stitched together with narration, just like the most boring talking about what's going on on screen or like, why is this about to happen? Here's the explanation. And there's that there's no elegance in that way either, unfortunately. So it clearly I think there was a bigger movie here that may have allowed for her to do more and that she would have stuck with. But yeah, because she doesn't talk for a huge amount of the beginning of the movie, which is weird. Her little her younger counterpart does. Yep. She talks a whole lot. (laughs) She's a small child wearing lipstick, which is very weird. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Maleficent, not as big a disaster as I was kind of anticipating. No, but I don't really get who this movie's for, as I said. Um, I, I walked hot out and I'm like... customers. Hot Topic yeah, that feels a little too... I feel like this is only for Disney fanatics, like these mm. people that I don't understand who still have timeshares at Disney World or get tattoos of Disney characters on their bodies. Like those people, this is their movie because... They're not looking well, for a lot drama. Of them, so well, yeah. That's what I figure. There are enough people. Everyone who subscribes to D23 will love this movie. I think plenty of people who saw Frozen will give it a shot and probably not like it as much. But Maybe. I mean, re- let's remember that uh, Eyesore in Wonderland made $1 billion yeah. worldwide. So. Let's not remember. Okay, sorry. <laughs> There's no accounting for taste in this world. So uh, go see Maleficent if you want to be part of that inevitable billion dollars. And, uh, <laughs> just keep an eye out for Angelina Jolie. If this is the end, you want to be, you want to say you were there when Angelina Jolie gave her last performance. Exactly. That's right. I know you. I walked with you once upon a dream. I know Before I ask Patches about this week's Fight the Wrong question, a couple other new releases this week. Uh, Night Moves, which we talked about in the context of movies that stir you to action. I saw it at Tribeca. Patches, I think you did too. Yes. Is kind of established as, you know, her slow contemplative kind of filmmaking. Night Moves is more of a thriller than, say, Meek's Cutoff, which many people would argue nothing happens. I love that movie. Um, I like Night Moves a lot. I, I did too. I just wish all thrillers could be this contemplative and thrilling. I mean, there's this is kind of edge of your seat stuff. It gets a little hokey at the end uh, when it, it crescendos because all dramas must, I suppose. But um, like the kind of slow burn in the beginning. Hey, another fanning performance. Yeah. And I love that Jesse Eisenberg, even though he's on his way to playing Lex Luthor, basically seems like between this and the double, like Jesse Eisenberg is not going to go jump for your... Uh, your franchise. He's going to play Lex Luthor and then go back to making these kinds of movies. Which he's like. going to load squash into the back of a truck exactly. and show us what it means. Um, and then also out is We Are the Best, which we talked about very briefly on an episode. Yes, please see this show. movie. I'm like, the more I think about it in the wake of everything that's happened in the past like week or two, I'm just like, I just want children and young people and parents to like watch this movie all together. This is so I think it's so important. To so see it instead of Maleficent. <laughs> and then we didn't see A Million Ways to Die in the West. So yeah. We'll, we'll, let's sweep that one under the rug. Someone can tell us if it's good or not. Well, Is that the Lucas Moodison? A Million Ways to Die in the West? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, no, <Luke laughs> no, I know. Uh, yes, that's Lucas Moodison. Oh, who's I really want to see that. I love him as a director. So good, so good. 
Um, yeah. Well, uh, speaking of million ways to die in the, lot, in the West, Patches, what was this week's lightning round question? Yes, it was, uh, what's a movie you're kind of ashamed to find funny? And I think I was thinking of Ted more than a million ways to die in the West when I thought oh, of this question. Which nobody finds funny. What? People love Ted. No, no, I mean a million ways to die in the West. Oh, no, yeah. I, people, I, I also laughed at People Ted. are not so keen on a million days, ways to die in the West, but uh, I'm yeah. sure someone will like it. I've heard there are a lot of poop jokes. So oh, good. there you go. Uh, Nathaniel, what what was your pick for your? Uh... Um, I'm gonna go back to the '80s when I was Take more likely there. to go to bad comedies <laughs> than I am now. <laughs> um, I'm gonna go with Madonna's "Who's That Girl." Hmm. Whoa! I just thought it was so silly and dumb and funny, and I loved it from like the moment there were like cartoon opening credits. And I understand that you're supposed to think it's like one of the worst movies ever made, but I think it's really funny. And have you revisited it since then and uh, your opinion <laughs> up? I have not, but I, I enjoy thinking about it. Oh, okay. That's, that, that works, actually. How, how many movie roles had Madonna been in? How many movies? How <laughs> I many think movies? that was like her third movie, something hmm. like that. And she was she kept testing her range, which was admittedly small. <laughs> but she tried. Oh, right. That's she was right. Susan in Desperately Seeking Susan. Yeah. And, and, then, and then right after that, she did the really terrible that I have no fond memories of, the one with Sean Penn. Mm. And then Who's That Girl, which I thought was really funny. And go. at least it gave us hit singles. Well, <laughs> like so many great Madonna movies for the period. I mean, it better Playground. Right. <laughs> right. Greatest song of the early 90s. Oh, and shout out, it also had, do you guys remember the, the hot girl from uh, 16 Candles that everybody wanted to sleep with? I'm sh- the cheerleader. I'm sure, if you showed me her picture, I would remember her. Yeah, she's in Who's That Girl? And she's very funny in Who's That Girl? Oh. Is she also someone we'd all want to sleep with, though? <laughs> Probably. Um, I you, don't, you don't remember. Lose that. <laughs> uh, Patches, w- oh, go ahead. No, no, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. There's n- speechless after that comment. That's Patches, good. Patches, what have you chosen? Uh, I'm going to go with, um, now I've lost it, of course, at uh, Ragu. Tomic, yes, Ragu Tomic, Adam Tomic, who said, um, Diary of a Wimpy Kid 1 and 2, but absolutely not 3, except I'm not ashamed. Um, I'm, I, I really go to bat for Diary of a Wimpy Kid Part 1, Thor Frodenthal's uh, first installment of the epic Diary of a Wimpy Kid series. Uh, it reminds me a lot. It reminds me a lot of Pete and Pete. I just really enjoyed that movie. And I also saw it at the, the biggest theater in New York, the Ziegfeld Theater, with a uh, – a theater full of like fifth graders. They bust them in from school. It was like a field trip and it was me and a zillion children and they were all <laughs> laughing and maybe it was the good vibes were just, I don't know. People just, adore the, the guy who wrote those books, Jeff Kinney. He's like their God. Yeah. Um, I'm going with Caitlin McWriter who says morning glory with Rachel McAdams, which I'm not even really that ashamed to say that I find funny because I think that movie's charming. I made my parents go see it with me like a second time. So I've seen it twice and in theaters, and I liked it both times. And I think uh, Rachel McAdams, I don't know why, I don't know. That movie was fine. It's no worse than literally a million other romantic comedies. Um, and I don't get why it hasn't happened for Rachel McAdams. I don't know if you guys have any you, What do you mean it hasn't happened for Rachel McAdams? I feel McAdams? like she deserves to be like Reese Witherspoon level movie star. It just is Reese never... Witherspoon a movie star? Well, 10 years ago. I mean, she deserves to have the career now, now that Reese Witherspoon well, did 10 years ago. I just saw About well, Time, and she was in About Time, and she was very lovely in that. Yeah, and but she did take like four years off. Yeah, 
right after she broke out, which is the problem, I think. Like right after the notebook. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe she should stay with Frank Gosling. I adore her. I just, I, I love everything that she does. Yeah. Well, she deserved better than Midnight in Paris. I'm crushing. That, none of that movie is not good, but that she, her part sucks in it. Anyway. Oh. Morning Glory. Produced by Bad Robot. Back when J.J. Abrams oh, right. was uh, not busy in space. <laughs> Um, that does it for this week's Fighting in the War Room. We'll be back next week. There's more giant movies coming. Oh, Edge of Tomorrow comes out next week. So we'll talk about that. Uh, in the meantime, tell the people who you are, starting with our guest, Nathaniel Rogers, where can people find you online? I am at thefilmexperience.net. And there's a weekly podcast over there, or semi-weekly podcast that I am also on sometimes when I'm lucky enough to join you guys, which is great. Wait, but you're also on Twitter. Yeah, Oh, yeah, sorry. I'm on Twitter at Nathaniel R. Um, and I talk about actresses a lot, so just um, expect that. <laughs> <laughs> we want nothing less. And uh, <laughs> I am Matt Patches. I write on the internet all over the place, and I try and put everything at mattpatches.com. And I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches. And I'm Katie Rich. You can find me at Vanity Fair's Hollywood or on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back talking to you next week. Bye.